if you wouldn't mind turning into the New Testament to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We'll be in both sections of Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 18 and First Kings 18 and 19. It's good to be back. Thank you for letting me get away. I, I, I miss you all, and uh, my mom's doing a lot better. I ask that you continue to pray for her. She's not quite out of the woods yet, so to speak. I heard a story recently. There was a there was a an elderly woman that tried to wake her son up for church. An elderly woman that tried to wake her son up for church. She said, wake up, wake up, wake up. I, you need to go to church. And he would not wake up. After the second or third time that she knocked on his door and, and tried to wake him up, he finally said in a sleepy voice, I am not going to go to church for two reasons. For two reasons, she, he said. Number one, I don't like anybody there. And number two, they don't like me. She said in response, you have to go to church. You have to go to church for two reasons. Number one, you're 49 years of age. And number two, you're the pastor of the church. <laughs> uh, silly, I know. I want to tell you, I'm really glad to be here, and I like you all. <laughs> I really do, and I, I missed you. Thank you, though, for letting me get away uh, with my mom. You know, I, I'm in between series. I don't know if you know that about me, if you figured out that out, but when I'm in between series, I like to do uh, two or three topical messages. It just lends itself for that. And I want to focus this morning on intercessory prayer and how revival always begins with me. It begins with you. It begins with us. Uh, February 9th, 10th, and 11th, we're going to have Pastor Jonathan Privet with us. He loves the Lord and he loves people. And I'm excited to have him. He'll be sharing February 9th and 10th and 11th. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to make this message applicable to our lives this new year, 2014. Where it's time gone, Lord. Help us to be mindful that you've given us today. Not necessarily tomorrow. Yesterday's gone, but we have today to enjoy you and to give us the eternal perspective. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Excuse me. It seems as though every time we turn around, there's bad news. Isn't that true? In the Middle East, every time we hear the news, there's some other country, there's somebody else ready to get in a, a conflict with another country. We know that there's a, internal problems in, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in Syria, if in Afghanistan, we know that there's unrest, civil unrest in Ukraine. We know that there's always a threat there in, in, in North Korea. Uh, morally, uh, the morning and evening soap, soap operas seemingly are coming true. Uh, we know that Alex Rodriguez, the famous baseball player for the New York Yankees, has been um, found guilty using enhanced uh, performance, enhancing performance drugs, and he's been banned from baseball at least one year. Uh, scripture tells us that there will be people in the last days 
crying for peace, crying for peace, there'll be wars and there will be rumors of wars. It tells us that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful and arrogant and revelers and disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and unloving. A number of years ago, uh, there was a this hate group movement called the Skinheads, and um, they beat and they mocked and they killed a young black man in Portland, Oregon. During the trial, they were asked why they did it, and they said in a very sarcastic manner with no remorse whatsoever, quote, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's so sad. And what's our response to this bad news? If you're like me and if you're like a typical Christian person, the response to this bad news often is just to stay in bed. <laughs> you just want to stay in bed and throw the covers over your head. Or um, you you feel like you just want to move to 10 buck two. You want to move to the North 40 someplace. You want to move to where there's no people at. You want to go up past Fairbanks, Alaska to no man's land. Or, or if you're like me, sometimes you just, isn't it true, you just wish that you could just go to heaven. Just die, get it over with, and go be with the Lord. Throw up your hands in despair. Now, knowing the despair in Luke chapter 17, because Jesus in Luke chapter 17 told his disciples about future events, future events. And after hearing this bad news and all the terrible things that they and future generations would endure, the context tells us that his disciples wanted to throw in the towel. They wanted to throw up their arms. They wanted to give up in despair. And knowing this particular despair that they felt and knowing their emotions at what Jesus told them that would happen uh, at during their generation and the generations to be, he starts off with a parable found in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And I want you to notice how it reads there and what it says. I lost my place for just, just give me a second here. Look at it. Then Jesus told his disciples, notice, a parable to, the, to show them what? That they should always pray and not give up. Isn't that interesting? He tells them a parable, and we're going to talk about that parable in just a moment, but he tells them this parable to pray and not give up, knowing their despair and knowing their emotions. Now, there's a word for us today, church. The Lord is saying, in the face of the Middle East conflict, in the face of Syria, and Afghanistan, in the face of the recession, yes, we're still in a recession, although the government would like to tell us that we're not. There's still thousands, if not millions of people out of work in face of all this demoral, moral decline. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And Jesus indicates, don't give up. Specifically, don't give up on praying. Don't give up on praying on praying faithfully and fervently and passionately and persistently. Jesus said this. He said, The fields are white under harvest. Pray 
to the Lord of the harvest that there may be more workers. Jesus said, pray, in my paraphrase, that the Holy Spirit would convict people of their sins and convince them that he is the answer. Pray for Holy Spirit conviction and convincing power. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but pray continually on a regular places. Cast your cures upon the Lord. He also said that through prayer, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. James, the brother of Jesus, said that the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous person accomplishes much. You see, Satan loves it. I believe the enemy of our soul. He loves it when people quit praying. He loves it to paralyze to paralyze people's prayer lives. Since there is so much dynamic and spiritual power in prayer, since God's dynamic power is released and God's will is helped to be accomplished on earth uh, as it is on earth, since Satan and his courts cower in the face of prayer, Satan loves it when people throw up their arms and give up on praying, especially what we call interceding on behalf of the United States, their family, their nation, their community. Praying, yes, is hard work. Praying at times is very, very difficult. But the Bible says that we are to continue to pray. And this is what Jesus said. He says, I'm going to teach you a parable to show you that you should pray and not give up. Now, if prayer accomplishes accomplishes so much, why do people so easily get discouraged and throw in the towel and lose heart? Someone might say, someone might say this. You know, I hear what you say, Pastor Ron. I hear what you say. I've had set appointments with God. I've had to still time in a safe place. I practice prayer, adoring God, confession. I keep short accounts with Him. I've also known times of thanksgiving and supplication. I've seen God answer my prayers. But if I were to be honest with you, I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down. I'm not that passionate about praying and intercessory prayer. Why? I I don't know all the reasons why, but I have a feeling that a lot of us may suffer from what I call physical and emotional exhaustion. First reason, number one, physical and emotional exhaustion. People have termed it burnout. It's where you not where you don't get enough rest and or exercise and where you don't eat right. Did you know that according to a Reader's Digest article a number of years ago, that sleep deprivation, that's what they call it, sleep deprived, a lack of sleep affects millions and millions of Americans. The most common myth, according to this article, is that a person can get by on five or six hours of sleep a night. This is the typical average for most people, about six hours a night. Did you know that, uh, according to this article, you need minimum of seven, most likely eight or nine hours sleep, and yet many, many people are sleep-deprived? You say, why, Pastor Ron? A half a dozen reasons. Bad habits of going to bed late at night. We get in a habit. Can't go to sleep past 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Got to get up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, but I'm in a habit. Too much caffeine. During the daytime, 
going to bed extremely late on the weekends, inconsistent bedtime, inconsistent getting up, anxious thoughts, worry, uh, everyday stress of living. People are tired. They're often what somebody has said, too pooped to pop. According to recent studies, did you know that they did a study and they did a poll among thousands of general practitioners, medical doctors, and this is what they found out. Nine out of ten patients that visited these doctors for whatever ailment, 90%, 90% of the people who visited, they said they could not help medically. They just gave them a pill because of the way in which they're living their life. Years ago, someone indicated to me that they were so drained by not taking care of themselves, by not getting their sleep, by not getting their exercise, by staying up so late, by being habitually hooked on caffeine, on Friday and Saturday night especially, that if God himself were to speak audibly to them, they could not hear his voice. Jesus said himself to his men in the garden, you cannot pray just one hour. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knew very well the physical and the emotional, uh, how it affects the spiritual. Now, I'm not an expert in this area, and I don't understand how the physical, the emotional affects the spiritual, and how the spiritual affects the emotional, and how it affects the spiritual but I do know that it has, uh, has an effect. I do know that. And we see this back here in 1 Kings chapter 18 in the story of Elijah. Did you know that Elijah, the Bible says, was an effectual, fervent prayer warrior for God? Did you know that Elijah rebuked kings he prayed one time for a dead person to come back to life, and that dead person came back to life. He prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it did not rain one single drop for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, it prayed instantly, cats and dogs, so to speak. Perhaps his greatest victory, however, was a showdown between he and the prophets of Baal, between good and evil that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is what we read that happened. On one particular occasion, he went up to these prophets of Baal, and he said, I'm, this is my paraphrase, I'm going to challenge you guys to a duel under the sun. There's an old movie by the t- name of that, uh, I can't remember who started it, but a duel in the sun. I'm going to challenge you to a duel in the sun. You 450 priests of Baal, Baal was a fertility cult, It was a religious cult of the Canaanites, and it happened to influence the people of God, and it was nothing but a guise to have all kinds of illicit sex. And Elijah got tired of them, and he said, I'm going to call you out. And so the Bible says that he sets up two particular sites, and he put a bull over here, and he places a bull over here. And he told them in this particular challenge, He said, the true God will consume the bull. And so you can go first, and then I will go next. And so the scripture tells us in this particular passage of scripture, 
after he placed uh, these bulls in these two different sites, that the 450 priests of Baal, they begin to chant, and they begin to cut themselves, and they begin to jump around like a bunch of fleas in the back of a mangy dog. I mean, they were all over the place. They were doing all this stuff, and, you know, and all afternoon and one until the scripture says they became absolutely exhausted, exhausted. And I want you to notice it is so humorous to me because the scripture indicates that in verse 27, look at it with me, 1827, that Elijah begins to taunt them. He begins to taunt them. He says, shout louder. He said, surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or perhaps he's busy traveling. Perhaps your God has taken off someplace to Timbuktu. Where's he at? What's happening here? And they got so exhausted, they got so tired that they literally just fell on the ground in a heap, you might want to say. And Elijah walks over, unlike the priests of Baal, and he turns his face toward heaven, and he says in verse 36, look at it with me. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are the Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trenches. And for, for good measure, before he prayed that prayer, he dumped a bunch of water. He had his associates dump a bunch of water. And the Bible says that God consumed all of the bull and all of the wood and even all of the stones and the people were in awe that God would reveal himself this way. And then the scripture says that he said to the people, kill them. And they killed those 450 priests of Baal that day. And guess what happens? Queen Jezebel finds out about it. And look at what happens here in 19 verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Jezebel basically said, Elijah, your goose is going to be cooked. Just like you killed my prophets of Baal, I'm going to wipe you off the face of earth and I'm going to kill you. Now, this is where it gets interesting for me. What was Elijah's response to her threats? How did he respond? Now remember, this is the same man that has rebuked kings. This is the same man that has resurrected people from the dead. This is the same man who has prayed that there would be a drought, and there was a drought for three and a half years. This is the same man who has witnessed God bring a fireball down from heaven and consume all the bull. This is the same man who has all this faith, who walks with God, who does all these things. And when Jezebel questioned him and said, your goose is going to be cooked, you're going to be killed, you're going to be murdered, how did Elijah respond? You see... He was so spent emotionally and physically at this time, so drained that he became a coward. 
Vince Lombardi had a number of quotes, and I'll never forget this one quote attributed to the Super Bowl dynasty coach of the Green Bay Packers. This is what he said. Fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. He said, I've had enough, Lord. And notice in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey in the desert. And notice, he came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he, what? That he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He wanted to take his own life. He wanted God to kill him. He wanted God to slay him. This man of God, this man that walked with God, the man that witnessed all these miracles. Why? Because he is emotionally and physically drained. He doesn't have any zip in his batteries left. He has hit rock bottom. He is absolutely burned out, we would say. I cannot be an effective Christian. Somebody said, when you burn the candles at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. I cannot be an effective Christian. I can't be a witness for God. I can't be a prayer warrior. I can't do any of these things if I'm not taking care of myself and getting adequate sleep and eating right. You bet it has an effect on my life. So what does Elijah do? He retreats. He goes a day's journey, the Bible says, out in the desert. He gets away. He retreats. And know the specific things that happens there. It says in our particular text here, Verse 4, while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree and he sat under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then what? He lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. And notice, all at once an angel of the Lord touched him and he said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over the coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then what did he do again? He lay down and he slept. The most spiritual thing that perhaps we could ever, ever do for ourselves is to get a good night's sleep on a regular basis and to eat right. And yet you don't know how many people will tell me I only get four or five hours of sleep a night because... I've got too much to do. And you don't know how many people I know live by that coffee maker. Cup after cup after cup. If they wanted to go to bed, they'd have a difficult time. You say, caffeine makes me sleepy. Well, it, it doesn't make most of us sleepy. It keeps us up. You're lucky if it makes you sleepy. <laughs> Retreat, rest, eat right. So simple and yet 
so profound that people miss it. I want you to notice the Lord then sends him many miles away. It says 40-day journey, 40 days and 40 nights, off by himself to a desolate, windswept place called Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. He gets up and he eats and he drinks again, strengthened by the food. He travels 40 days and 40 nights until he reaches Mount Horeb, the mountain of of God. Now I want you to notice, look at it with me in verses 11 through 13, and look at how God speaks to him. The Lord said, go out. He reaches Mount Horeb after 40 days and 40 nights. He says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was a great earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came what? A gentle whisper. And Elijah heard it. Sometimes parents shout to be heard. Sometimes pastors shout to be heard. And sometimes co-workers shout to be heard. And sometimes mothers and fathers and grandfathers and uncles and aunts and next-door neighbors, they shout to be heard. But God, God doesn't usually shout to be heard. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the loud wind. He was in the whisper. Philip Keller captures what I'm talking about, this stillness, this quietness, this rest in God really well. He writes, For the man or woman who has come to know and love the Lord God in the depths of such intimacy, the times of solitude are the most precious in all of life. I hope they're precious. I hope you have in a still time in a safe place. I hope you're listening because they're precious. They are a rendezvous, he writes, with the beloved. They are anticipated with eagerness. They are awaited with expectancy for the person who has found in God a truly loving father, gentle interludes with him alone are the highlights of life. For the one who has found Christ, the dearest friend among all the children of earth, quiet times in his company are the oasis of life. For the individual conscious of the camaraderie of God's gracious spirit in the stillness of, and the solitude, these intervals are the elixir of life. End of quote. The second reason, I think, that we get off of praying and spending time with the Lord is because of the lack of persistence in breaking down the distractions. I've got an iPhone, like most of you. I know when somebody texts me right away. 
And I usually answer that response. These days, it could be 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, sometimes 10 o'clock at night, sometimes the first thing in the morning. Some of us have iPads. We have computers. We are available 24-7 to individuals and people. And there, these things bring distractions. And we have all the latest media entertainment features if we have basic cable, we have a lot more than we had a number of years ago. But most of us don't have basic cable. We have the upgrade, and we have all of the high-definition channels. And if we miss the programs, then we can record them because we have the HDV, the VR players, that we can watch the programs that we miss. And if we don't have, if we don't like that, then we can have go to basic Netflix, and we can watch hundreds of movies and hundreds of programs. We are media-saturated and live in this technological world and this age today that we are being bombarded by all these messages and we have to get past the distractions to hear God. If God were to speak audibly to some of us, it would be a miracle in our lives because we wouldn't, we wouldn't understand if he's speaking to us because we have all these other voices. The point I'm trying to make is, is that it, there are distractions there are distractions. And we often have to persevere past the distractions. Not only do we have to take care of ourselves, but we have to take the time to have a still time in a safe place. Quiet moments of interludes where we pray and listen and meditate and then we make time for individual worship and also time for corporate worship as well. Now, Jesus indicates, back to Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus indicates that even in the face of this world situation, he, he gave prophecy. He gave prophecy in chapter 17. The disciples were disturbed by the prophecy, disturbed by the world events that were going to happen during their lifetime in the, in the future. And so much so that he knew that they were discouraged. And he wanted them to always pray and not give up. And then he goes on and he tells this parable. He says, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. We're talking about an unjust judge. Did you know that Roman judges during Jesus' day, they often could be bought for a bowl of meat. That's what we know. They could be paid off. So this is an unjust judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about men. And But there's this widow who is very poor. She doesn't have political connections. She doesn't have any money. She doesn't have any way in which to bribe the judge to get a just, to get justice. The only way that Jesus said that this widow could get justice was notice to, in, in the second part of verse 3, and there was a widow in that town and kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And she did this, the context tells us, over and over and over again. She kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him and bugging him and bugging him until, look at verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, this is Jesus telling his parable, 
even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Persistence. Telling us to continue to worship and to pray and to be intercessors and not to give up, to get beyond the distractions. And then he uses the contrast here. He's saying that our Heavenly Father is not like this unjust judge. And notice what he says in verse 6. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they will get justice and they will get it quickly. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?